Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. So glad to be a part of your worship this Sunday morning as we all stand together and worship God. We've worshiped Him through singing, worshiping Him through the giving of our tithes and offerings, and now worshiping Him through hearing the Word of God and uh, listening and responding to it. It's a story that is very, very familiar. You know that James has been leading you through a series on the book of Daniel. It's called True Grit, which uh, is uh, a nod to the old John Wayne movie and recently remade a stand-up man in a bowed-down world. Daniel was a man of true courage, of remarkable grit. And uh, James led you through chapter 1, Alien, right? This world is not your home. You got two passports if you're a Christian, right? You got a passport of whatever nationality you claim citizenship, that one has an expiration date. Then you have a passport as a citizen of a kingdom of heaven, that one has no expiration date. And that's the one, that's the most important thing in the world. So how do you live as a resident alien then in this culture? Chapter 1, a daily reminder not to eat the king's food, a daily reminder that we are in this world but not to be consumed by it. And then last week, Uh, James led you through chapter 2 about how it's God who gives this deliverance. We don't know how long between when Daniel prayed, you know, give me an answer to interpret this dream so we don't all die, and how long between when he gave that answer and and when he gave that request and when he got it. And the point is not just to get your prayer answered, but to glorify God throughout that process, to bring glory to God in the waiting, in the meantime. And that gets us to today, to chapter 3. This is a famous passage. It's so famous. It's one of those passages that because you know it so well, many times it's hard to hear it with fresh ears. And so that's my prayer for you today, that if you've heard this a thousand times, fresh ears, that you'd receive it in your heart. Many of the children that are leaving here, they know this story. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And if you're here and you're like, I know none of those people, I don't know this story, it's going to be epic for you. This is great. It's a great story, right? For those of you that have heard a million times, for those of you who grew up with Veggie Tales, this is Rack, Shack, and Benny. Anybody? A few of you. So my prayer is that we'll hear it with fresh ears. It is uh, designed, I think, I mean, it's a narrative. And so I put a few of the verses up here, the ones we'll kind of key in on. But more than anything, just want to just wanna read, read to you the story. We've got uh, the Israelites, are, uh, some of them are in exile. Daniel and his uh, three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, th- th- this particular uh, passage deals with them. Before I read the story, I'll just point out a couple things to uh, b- uh, heads up on. One is the... Uh, the uh, Uh, pomp and circumstance of it all. King Nebuchadnezzar is about to build this, you know, idol. He's, he's just realized that, uh, he's had this vision where he's this statue, he's the head of gold. So what better way to kind of solidify his power than a national religion, right? Let's create a state religion. And, uh, uh, by, by baking, by, by making this massive tower and everybody bow down to it, I can kind of unify the people and, and, and we'll do all that. It'll be a cool thing. It'll be a new thing. And so the, the writer, I think the writer here in Daniel is having a little fun with this because there's all this pomp and circumstance. I mean, you'll hear the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors, and all the, you know, they're rolling out the red carpet. And the joke on all this is over and over, listen to how many times he says uh, that he had set up this idol. It's man-made. Like you're watching the thing being built, you know? So, so it's like, look at this great, this is like God, worship this statue, it's God. They're like, you mean the one that like many of us like pitched in and built? Like that's, 
yes, it appeared. Right, because we built it. You know, like, like you set it up. You know what I mean? And it's a simple point, an obvious point, but I think a very uh, important one for us. Idols have no power. The only power, if you will, power they have is what we ascribe to them. But they're worthless. They're meaningless. And over and over again, the writer of Daniel points that out. Like, it's the, it's the idol that, that he had set up. So you have all this pomp and circumstance around an idol that he had set up. It, it reminds me, uh, you remember the Wizard of Oz when the, uh, the kind of they discover, you know, the great and powerful Oz is just this dude behind the curtain. And so there's one point where it's, you know, the guy's even like, uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Focus over here. I'm really great and powerful. And it's like, bro, we can all see you're not. This is kind of, this is kind of the author of Daniel's kind of pulling back the curtain like... You, the great and powerful idol, you, you realize he, he built it, right? So enjoy that as we read the first uh, seven verses. and Let's get right to it. You ready? Daniel 3, verse 1. Famous story. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. (laughs) She's a real beaut, Neb. Uh, Satraps. Prefects, governors, magistrates, royal advisors, they're all there for the photo op. You know what I mean? They, these politicians, they, they're all coming out for this, right? Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you're commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither. Z- I don't know. I'll tell you this, though. If you're going to play in Babylon, you've got to have a zither in the band. Lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship will, whoa, will, immediately, wow, will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So verse 7 contains a great therefore. It's a, to me, a very obvious therefore. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now we see this blazing furnace, but before we get to that, understand, they didn't need the blazing furnace. The blazing furnace just added this great pomp and circumstance, so we'll get to that in just a second. You've got to understand, this is, this is what's new, man. This is the state religion. To be seen as going against this would be to be seen on the, on the wrong side of history. Get with the program. You're like an Amish person walking into Abercrombie. You're, uh, you, you're not look, it doesn't look right. You don't fit. You're not cool, man. This is, this is imagine uh, like an obelisk, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a Washington Monument or something. It's narrow, nine feet wide, but 90 feet tall, nine stories high. And they roll out the red carpet. It's an event. You got the satraps, prefects, governors on Babylon Entertainment Tonight. We're here with a satrap. Now, who are you wearing tonight, right? Oh, I'm wearing a Chaldean garment, right? Everybody who's any, this is a who's who of Babylon, right? To not be a part of the celebration. This is what I love. You don't need the blazing furnace. Just need popularity, right? Social media is blowing up about this new dedication, which for them was tablets, like original tablets, not like tablets. 
Everybody's talking about it. You got this herald proclaiming it, this big ribbon cutting. Everybody's going to, the deal is simple. There's going to be this music that's played, this amazing music. Everybody who hears it is going to bow down. We're going to kind of celebrate this new state religion, this new secular religion. Nebuchadnezzar had some dream where he was a statue and he was gold and that represents us. We're Babylon. What, what? And so we're all going to celebrate and it's going to be awesome, right? Now, just in case you need a little, you know, uh, uh, motivation, if you have any hesitation, then not only does everybody want to do this anyway, but Nebuchadnezzar, we see, you know, he has a bit of an anger problem, right? We see that throughout the scriptures. Did you notice that? Like in chapter 2, James preached on, he's like, hey, you're going to interpret this dream, right? Oh, no, you have to tell me the dream. And if you don't, I'll have you killed, your family killed, and anywhere your family lived, I will burn down and turn into a public outhouse. Because it's not enough just to kill you and your whole family, right? So he's got this rage. In this story, we see three levels of Nebuchadnezzar's rage. Right now, we're at level one. It grows. It's like the Taco Bell hot sauce, right? We're starting at, here's mild. We're going we're gonna to get to hot and then fire. The, here's where we start, and here's what he says. Whoever does not fall down to worship, immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. And so it goes without saying. The only point I wanted to make with that is the, the furnace was really just sort of icing on the royal... Uh, agenda's cake here. Uh, the point is, everybody wanted to be a part of this. And Nebuchadnezzar, who not only does everybody want to please because he's this powerful and maniacal ruler, but on top of that, if you don't, he's going to throw you into a blazing furnace. Now, I said all that to say, whew, maniacal ruler, pressure to join a secular religion and great threat if you don't, man, I'm glad I live in 2015 where we don't have idols anymore. Right? right? I mean, the reason you're laughing is you and I both know this couldn't be more applicable to where we are today, right? Now, we don't, we don't have idols in the way they had idols because we, we, we maybe don't have <clears throat> physical idols, right? So when I say we have idols in this country, you all know what I mean. I, I, I don't have some great fear. Maybe, uh, you know, Pastor Linda and Joe and James, you, you, you guys probably like me. I don't stay awake at night worrying about physical idolatry. I don't know. And I don't think that some of you, you know, after church later today, hey, man, hey, what's up? Y'all, I met you at City on a Hill today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, the pastors can't be everywhere at once, bro. Why don't you come over to my place? I just got a new idol. It's a golden calf. You come over, we'll sneak in a couple bows, right? Watch the giants. It's going to be off the chains, right? We're going to worship this idol. Right? I don't believe, I don't, I don't worry that that's going to happen. Okay? Why? Because a physical idol is actually something that, in terms of a satanic tactic, wouldn't really work for him. If we set up a huge idol right out here in Corum, some physical idol right out here on, on you know, Middle Country Road or something, and said, all the Christians, it doesn't matter, you must bow down to this, there'd be an uprising. We're going to stand together. We're not going to do it, right? So Satan realizes that, and he thinks to himself, why would I switch tactics to turn to a visible idol? Invisible idols are already capturing hearts. They're already, they're already bowing to idols. Satan doesn't care whether it's some physical golden calf you're bowing to or whether it's some intangible thing, something that's, you know, a little, a little less easily seen. He doesn't care if, you've got, if, he, if he has your heart bowing down. Does that make sense? 
I mean, we talk about idolatry, and these are people who are willing to go to their death to avoid it. The first two commandments, you remember the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments. I'm the Lord your God, you'll have no other gods before me, no other gods besides me. And the second is just like it, it's related. Don't make any graven image, don't make an idol. And here, everybody's going, ah, it's no big deal. And you think it's no big deal, except there are some who still remember the first two commandments. Now, Satan wants you to break any sin, but certainly these foundational idolatry... Uh, uh, of course he would want that. And we, and we treat it so flippantly, right? I mean, think about it. We even have a TV show, like, named after I, I mean, right? But what's the most popular TV show in this country right now? That's right, CSI. But right behind that <laughs> is, uh, is Amer- we American Idol, right? And the flippancy with which we treat what John Calvin said, we are an idol factory. So my thinking is that it would be helpful, and I did this for my church, and it was helpful, I hope, for them, and I hope it will be helpful to you. My thinking is that because we can't see this great idol, because it's not as tangible, because we are not literally in the sandals of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where it's like, bow down to this idol, or we'll throw you into a blazing furnace. We need something to sort of wake us up to that being our reality. But because it's all these intangible, it's kind of, you know, these little whispered threats and allegations, and, you know, we kind of hear that there's a secular threat out there. We, we kind of intuit that there's idolatry, but we don't really see it. I thought it would be helpful to just make a physical, some sort of, uh, uh, help us understand what we're really up against. And to do that, I'm going to use these toy stackable blocks. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that, that's what we'll do. If you're a note taker, here's, here's where I think. And hopefully it will build up in such a way that will be narrow and tall. And uh, here we go. The, the foundation of the idol. This is what I think we're up against. The foundation of the idol, I believe. If you're a note taker and you want to write these down, there'll be t- ten of them. Because, you know, there's ten is uh, pride. Pride. I I would say that's the foundation of the idol, all right? So pride is the desire to be God. Instead of God being in control of our life, we say, no, uh, Lord, I want to be in control of my life. This, if you recall, is what got us kicked out of the Garden of Eden. This goes all the way back to the beginning. The desire for a human being to take the glory that rightly belongs to God, to rob God of that glory, and instead take glory for himself or for herself. So the base of the idol, it's built on pride. The whole thing's pride. You know, I've uh, been doing a lot of uh, weddings recently. We're just in a season of our church. Where, uh, love is in the air, I guess. Uh, you know, come to New Hope. And you're single. But um, uh, in doing that, well, one thing I read is that uh, money is the leading cause of marriage fights and ultimately divorces in marriage. And I thought that's totally wrong. You, that may be a symptom, sure, but the leading cause, I can tell you what the leading cause of a breakdown in a marriage is, it's pride. And money just sort of amplifies that, that selfish pride, see? Uh, what, why do friendships break down? Why, why do relationships break down? It fundamentally comes down to pride. All those other things are just uh, symptomatic, I believe. That's the foundation. The second one here, um, self and it's, it's related. It's, in fact, another way of saying number one there, which was pride. Self, the idea is the world, you know, revolves around me. That uh, uh, Philippians, for example, Philippians 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That's very foreign to us. We consider ourselves better than others. And we assume that the world revolves around us. Some people would say, well, not me, man. I don't bow down to any idol. I do what I say. I'm a self-made man. Well, then you're, you're, you're worshiping self, you see. These are still foundational idols, I think. Uh, for example, uh, I was in a men's Bible study this summer where they covered these next three, and I thought I never really thought about it, but they called these deep idols. 
Uh, number three, this would be an idol of control. Control. And I say, well, isn't it good to have control over things? And, well, maybe. Um, uh, an idol of control is when you say, I, I have to be in control of all these different things in my universe. And, and, and God, I know you're working, but I don't really live by your hand. I live by my hand. See? And what this leads to is some really dangerous things. And you say, well, how do I know if I struggle with the idol of control? Ask yourself, how's your fear? People who struggle with the idol of control sort of manifest itself by all these fears. You have all these fears. Why? Because you have this fear that you're going to lose your job, or you're going to lose this relationship, or you're going to have these threats. And if you do, what? You'll lose control. See? When it's an illusion, you never really had control. You had the illusion that you you know, felt in control, but ultimately it's God who directs your life. And to be able to lean into that and trust that, we can't do that if we're worshiping at the idol of control. Another symptom of this that comes from fear, interestingly, I think is anger. The reason you get angry at someone is you're perceiving them as a threat to take away something or to diminish somehow something that you have. And because ultimately you have to be in control, you can't allow God to deal with them. You can't allow them to work that stuff out with God. You have to pour out your anger on them. Why? Because you have to remain in control. If you look behind anger, you find fear. And if you look behind fear, you find the idol of control. If you look under control, you find self and pride. This is what I think. Another uh, idol tempts a, a lot of people to worship would be the idol of significance. You would say, wait a minute. <clears throat> You'll see this pattern here. Isn't significance a good thing? Well, in some ways, all these things can be good. An idol, look at it this way. An idol is when a good thing becomes a God thing. So significance is an inordinate reliance on the opinions of other people. It goes like this. I'll be okay as long as fill in the blank is pleased with me. If I can get the approval of my wife, if I can get the approval of my dad, if I could just please and impress my dad, if my boss would just find worth in me, if that girlfriend, if that boyfriend would just find worth in me, there is a search for significance. And if that search ends anywhere but God, it becomes an idol. Now, the old people pleasing, right? And here's the danger. I will be whoever you need me to be if you will grant me some measure of significance. If you will approve me, I will change. I'll be whoever you want me to be. And you see the danger in that. In the Old Testament, they didn't necessarily call it, uh, really in the New Testament, they didn't necessarily call it people-pleasing, uh, but they had this phrase for it. They call it the fear of man. Some would, some would live out of the fear of God. Others would live and die for the fear of man. WWPT, right? What will people think of me? Significance becomes an idol. Or how about this one? Number five. Idol of comfort. Comfort. Comfort can become an idol. For some people, Satan doesn't have to tempt you with some really impressive sin. He just has to tempt you with the couch. Right? He doesn't need significant immorality. He just needs Netflix. Right? Well, what do I mean by that? Well, look, comfort's not a bad thing. We all seek some measure of comfort. I'm certainly not against couches or Netflix. If I'm running for office, I want everyone to be clear. I am pro-couch and pro-Netflix. The, the point I'm making is how quickly, though, this can become an idol. And we stop doing God's will because what we're seeking ultimately is comfort. And we're willing to cut corners for comfort. And here's where this leads. And, and, and at first you said, well, that's, that's sort of harmless. It's not harmless. It's toxic and it's poison. When we worship at the idol of comfort, here's what I mean. You, you actually have anger in your life because sometimes you're robbed of that 
for which you feel entitled. Uh, l- let me try to illustrate how the comfort idol works. And it's a simple illustration, so I hope the illustration makes the, the broader point clear. If I am on a crowded F train, and it's uh, rush hour, and I'm on the F, and I'm packed in there like a sardine, and I don't get a seat, I'm not angry, right? I'm just like, man, can't get a seat, like, right? It's, ugh, it's crowded, rush hour, rah, you know what I mean? But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not personally angry, I'm not mad at people. It's like, man, I took the F train at rush hour, I don't have a seat, right? No, no big deal, not angry, don't have a seat. The next day, I get a seat on the F train, right? Nice. And as the train comes to an abrupt stop, someone uh, wasn't ready for the stop and begins to stumble and fall over. So I jump up to help them. Oh, they're good. And as I sit back down, I re- someone is in my seat. Right? Now I'm furious. What's the difference? Did you catch that? Someone's in my seat. You said, wait a minute. You, just yesterday, you didn't have a seat, and you were just fine. And yet today, someone's in my seat? That's right. I got angry when I got entitled to that seat. See, there was an understanding that that's my seat. And now, I have justifiable reasons for being angry. So here's the broader application. Who is the owner of 24 hours of your day? The answer is it's God. And if you wake up in the morning and you go, mm-hmm. <sighs> It's early. I don't want to get up, but Lord, you are the rightful owner of 24 hours of this day. So I can't wait to see what you have for me today. I'm your servant. You're the master. You're the boss. So can't wait to see what you have for me today. And I can't wait to see how I can serve you and enjoy you and glorify you. But that's not how we wake up, is it? Right? Imagine if we did do that. And God, what if, okay, what if God were like, well, I appreciate that. I do have a great day planned for you as my servant. And your first step is, you know what, I'm good here. I can run the universe. Just take another hour and just go back to bed. And uh, I'm cool. And just, just the other 23, totally. We're going to work. We're going to do all these things. But just take an hour off just completely as yours. You'd be like, yes, that's amazing, right? See how the whole perspective changes? Instead, we don't wake up like that, do we? We wake up. All 24 hours are mine, and I'm entitled to them. So God... If you get five minutes, consider yourself lucky. Because they're my hours. I'm entitled to them. What's going on when that happens is we've got an idol going on of comfort where we're seeking comfort. I am not exempt from any of these. That's why I keep using the word we. If you're like, man, that's some good insight. How does he know that idol so well? All right. about this? Beauty. Now, here's one. Pastor Joe, come on, right? You and I, we... It's a curse to be beautiful. And I, <laughs> I realized, I said, I struggle with all these right before I did beauty. I didn't time that. Anyway, uh, here's what I mean. Isn't beauty a good thing? Yes. <clears throat> so w- how could this become an idol? Uh, an idol is, remember, when a good thing becomes a God thing. And so beauty becomes twisted in an idol when it be- turns into lust or a dependence on, uh, over-dependence on fashion or an inordinate care about the way we look and the way we're perceived from others. Uh, uh, this kind of is related to the significance idol. It can also be related to vanity. Um, I think that this rears its ugly head in things like envy, right? And, and Pinterest can be a great way to, you know, invent new crafts for your birthday party or whatever. Or it can be a detrimental way to envy other people all the time, constantly. 
about how cooler they are than you and how uh, smart other people are. And social media can really rear its ugly head in uh, the beauty idol. And this is related to that. This is popularity. Popularity. And this is related to the significance thing. But when popularity becomes an idol, I will be whoever you need me to be if you will approve of me, if you will like me. For people who struggle with the popularity idol, uh, uh, it, it's, it goes like um, uh, your worst nightmare, like your fear is uh, you, you, are a, you are a different person. Like you've got your church world and then you've got your work world and you've got your home world and then you've got your friends world and your worst nightmare is that you'll be at Applebee's and like your church people will suddenly meet all your work people and your family people and you'll be like, no, 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 right? Because suddenly you don't know who to be. Right? Your identity is gone. Well, what's going on there is you've been worshiping at this idol of popularity instead of uh, being who you are, instead of adjusting to the culture. Many of you would have predicted this as the number one idol I would have mentioned. I put it a little higher because I think it's symptomatic of these deep idols. But money. Money. Uh, uh, Bill said it correctly. Jesus said that money would be the number one contender for our heart. Why is that? Because worshiping money reveals deeply what we're after is significance and comfort and control. We don't just want any idols. We want idols we think can save. And money, you sure look like you fit the bill. Money is... It can give me comfort, right? Money can buy me all kinds of movie subscriptions. And, and, and money looks like it can give me significance, right? I mean, if I'm, if I'm really... If I'm balling, it's like, yo, I... I I'm going to be really popular. I can have all these things. I can have a significance. And I can have some measure of control. And money, when my kid was sick and needed medicine, money, you were mighty to save. You were there for me. And when I needed to, you know, take that girl on a date and I wanted to impress her, money, it was you that was there for me. Money, you, we don't just want any idol. We want idols that we think can save us. And money seemed to fit the bill. I would not have guessed number nine until a few years ago. That's when everything changed. Number nine, I'm going to say an, uh, a temptation, uh, an, an American idol of, version of Nebuchadnezzar's. I'm going to put kids up there. Kids. Now look, I like my kids. I'm going to keep them. But every parent in here, can you back me up on this? There's this fine line. Where it goes from like, I want my kid to do well, to something that's not right. Something satanic that says, I need my kid to do well. They have to. Because I don't just want them to do well. I need them to do well. Why? Because I find my significance in them. And I need them to love me. I need them to approve of me. I need other parents to know that I'm good. And I need my kids to tell me I'm good. So discipline? No, 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 no. More toys. <laughs> and then that grows into an enabling. Why? Because ultimately I'm worshiping them. And listen, when you do that, making your kid an idol, it will crush both you and the kid. Because the kid is not meant to bear the freight of godhood. He or she can't. They're just a kid. But I need them to do well. Because don't you know, you're not just a kid. You're my legacy. You're my significance. You're my way of finding identity in the world. When you get straight A's, yes, it's on me, right? Look, see, I am good. 
Now, that's hard to preach on because it's such a fine line. I want my kid to get straight A's. I want them to do well. But when I cross from want to need, I have to be vigilant. I have to be guarded that this could be an idol in my life, needing them to do well. It's scary. And if you ever want to see this illustrated, do what I did last spring. Go to a kindergarten graduation at a public school and accidentally stand up between a mom who's videoing, permanently standing and videoing the whole ceremony. Just accidentally get between mom and idol. I won't tell you which mom it was. I won't say if it's our family. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's not. I'm just saying. We all struggle with this, right? But as I'm sitting there watching this, I just thought something's gone wrong. It wasn't like... I don't remember this when I was a kid. We didn't have kindergarten graduation. We didn't have sweet seeking. We didn't have all these things. But I thought something's just a little bit wrong. And as I saw all these people, the way they were clapping, the way they were raising their arms, the way they were looking, and if you just turned off all the music and you didn't know, you'd be like, we're at a worship service. But the object of our worship is twisted. And what's that going to do to us? And what's that going to do to them? Um, So that's why we must be (laughs) hypervigilant. I'm sorry for all these kids. Why can't we get ice cream? No! I just ruined their afternoon. I didn't mean to do that. The kids, kids are great. Just don't make them an idol. And number 10 is pride. Wasn't pride number one? Yes! I'm trying to drive home a point through repetition. The lie is I am God, not God. Now, there are those who would look at this in today's society and say, well, quite frankly, I'm down with all of it. You got to remember, outside the insulation of this church, right? Outside, there's many people that are like, money? Yeah. Pride? I'll take two. But, you know, both, right? Why not? It's all good. Comfort? More I could get. Why would you not? That is the message. There's a bus that just drove by two weeks ago. Q44 goes right by my house. Fashion really matters, right? No, it doesn't, right? But that's the message that you're all, you deserve all this. You are entitled to that seat. You are entitled. 24 hours a day are yours. You deserve it. Buy the shoes, eat the cookies, the worship at this idol. Why wouldn't you be entitled to all these things? What's the big deal? On top of that, it's cool. It's new. It's the state religion, man. Get on board with the progressive moves of this country or be on the wrong side of history. Who cares that you're on the wrong side of God? It does, no, 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 but don't, but just don't be on the wrong side of history. Don't rock the boat. There's a little flaming furnace here we're not talking about that we will dump people's careers into if they rock this boat. But there's plenty of people there's nothing wrong with it. Thankfully, there's some people who say there is something wrong with it. And they're found in verse 8. They're, 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 they're blown up. They're, their spot is blown up in verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship, as I recall, you said, right, will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Well, seems there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. I'm not trying to tattle, but I think you'll know just what to do with rebels, right? Because they know he's a rage-filled maniac. And so they're like, look, this is a great way to get rid of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This will be great. They're saying, yeah, they just won't bow down. Verse 13. Furious with rage. Oh, boy. Right? Right into the furnace. 
Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, here's what's interesting. There's not, well, they summoned him. So these three men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, off with your heads. No. Right into the furnace. No. We see this rare moment of compassion from Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I don't think it was true compassion. I think Neb is sitting here going, ay, ay, ay. We need a way out of this where everybody can save face. I have invested so much money in these three guys. Not only that, I've got Israel, which is over here, and I need them controlled, and I need Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be part of the satraps that actually control them. I, can't, I don't want to lose these guys. On the other hand, if they defy me in front of everybody, I've got no choice. I'm not really looking to throw these guys in the furnace. So here's what he does. Here's what he does. Such an intriguing move you know, for, for this, uh, this nation-manager Nebuchadnezzar, who's got these problems. So he says, uh, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? He's incredulous. This can't be. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, you see what he's doing? He's telling everybody, obviously, they just didn't hear it. The music wasn't loud enough. In fact, zither guy, not zither guy, you're in the fire right now. You can see Neb doing that. That's all it was. See, everybody can save face. We can all pretend you just didn't hear it. Sneak in a couple quick bows. We all go home happy. So when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Right? So see, we can all go home and... And uh, that, that's what he's looking to do. He's, he's looking for everybody to save face. Perhaps the same thing happens in your work environment. Uh, there will be moments when, um, look, just, just sneak in a couple quick bows, right? Just a little compromise. It, it's really win-win. You know, what good is it if you, if you die in the, in the fiery furnace here? Then what kind of minister can you be? Let, let, Nebuchadnezzar's giving you this out. Just take it. In fact, just sort of bow down with your fingers crossed. And then, you know... It's like you and God have this understanding, but your public persona will be very different, right? I kind of hear that a lot in the news. You believe whatever you want, just don't have any of your actions reflect those beliefs. <laughs> and that's what, that's what he's being invited to do. Just do that. And then as if all that isn't it, this, this is the question. This is the one. I thought this, this is the whole point of the sermon. So I, I made, oh, what, I just read that verse. Sorry. So, and right there. If you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Now here it is. Here it is. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? That's the question that this idol wants to know. So say you walk out of here and you pray to God that he smashed the idol for money or comfort in your life. Well, who's going to be there when you don't have money? Did you think of that? Say you keep your integrity, but what, this is what Satan wants to know. Satan hates you and he's asking you, who, how are you going to save your skin? How are you going to save your job? Say you do the right thing and say you do it over and over again. Who's going to be there when you don't get ahead? Unless you lower your standards. Hey, single person, let me ask you this. Unless you lower your standards and begin dating somebody who's not a Christian, I'm sorry, you're going to get left behind. Everybody else is going to hear wedding bells. What God is going to rescue you from my hand? Hmm? How are you going to be delivered from a life of loneliness and, until you start doing things your own way instead of God's way? Just saying, this is the way the world's going. Who's going to rescue you from my hand? You hear the insidiousness of this? Go ahead, don't live for significance. Don't live for popularity. Then who's going to be there for you? What God can rescue you when the hand of the state seems so powerful and mighty? And not only that, you feel internal pressure. You feel pressure from family. You feel pressure from your work. And everybody wants to know the same thing. Who's going to rescue you? There's the blazing furnace. It's, I mean, do the math. 
Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give this remarkable reply. Here's the problem. I wasn't there, and I don't know how this reply was given. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar, it could be that literally nothing happened between 15 and 16 verses, 15 and 16. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just saunter up to Neb, full of courage and without an ounce of fear. Neb, we're not going to bow. You know, right? This sort of John Wayne, true grip moment. Yeah? Or, or maybe they were scared to death. Remember, these dudes are teenagers. So I think more likely would be, we're going to throw you into a blazing furnace. What's your answer? We're going to need a minute, right? Israelite huddle. Shad, what do we do? I don't know, Mish. What do you think we should do? I don't know, but we can't go about this. The first and second commandment. I know. I'm scared to death. I know. We're going to die. I know. Listen, if God were going to save us, he would have saved us by now. Don't you think I'm aware of that? This was such a foolish idea. Oh, don't bow. It breaks the first and second commandment. We're all going to die. There's only one hope. What's that hope? If Daniel would just text me back. I keep texting Daniel. (laughs) I mean, for crying out loud, the book is named after him, and he is conspicuously absent in chapter 3, I've noticed. Well, Daniel's not here. He discipled us, and it's time for us to rise up. This is disappointing, that sermon. I agree. Well, I'm scared to death. I am too. I just wanted to go to prom. I know, I know. That dream is dead, Abednego. Well, listen, here's the deal. You realize if we say we're not going to bow, the thing I can't get over is it's like all we have is God. He's all we have, right? So say we save our skin and we don't bow. We have nothing to live for, even though we're alive. I agree. So I don't want to live like that. You know, God might save us. I thought of that. Abednego, I didn't. I didn't. I'm not going to lie. But here's what I'm thinking. Like, we could die and then immediately get resurrected. We could respawn. Like in a video game. I've been thinking this. This is what's going to happen. Well, that gives me a shred of hope. We're just going to go with the respawn. We're going to go with that. Are you sure? Don't, don't try to talk me out of this, okay? All right, then. Uh, we're going to do this. We're not going to bow. All right, we'll do it together. All right, everybody in. Yahweh on three. Here we go. One. Well, Neb. uh, We reached an answer. King Nebuchadnezzar, it turns out we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. That is is such a Christian moment. I mean, can't you see? You are the people of God. And to the state, it's like this. Honestly, it's a non-starter. We don't need to defend yourself. We don't need to defend ourselves because their life was their answer. You know, the time for the justification in the words has come and gone. It's like we're for God. So the state's going to do what the state's going to do. We're going to do what we're going to do. And when they clash, they may demolish us. In the end, we, we rise again. I'm still banking on that. Right? See? And if, and it, you know, whatever. So they just point that out very simply. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And your question was not, are we going to bow or not? You remember, Nebuchadnezzar's question technically was not, what are you going to do? His question, a lot of people forget this, was, what God will rescue from my hand? His question is, what will God do? 
And the answer is not so much what you do, it's what do you believe God will do? And that's why their answer says, they don't answer the, the question, they answer exactly what he asked. You want to know what God's going to do? God can deliver us. That's our final answer. And then Abednego's like, well, actually, you're right, we do, we have allowed for the fact that he may not. And so they hit him with this. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty. Somebody write this down. Because, see, we're just going to be a pile of smoldering ashes. And so we want it. Somebody write this down in Daniel 3.18 so that it gets preached forever and ever. That we did not bow. That we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Why? Because I would rather die connected to God than live connected to Satan. So that's what we're going to do. Now. We have seen Nebuchadnezzar at level 1 rage, level 2 rage. This is fire sauce. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious, which is great because he's been fur- Whoops. He's been furious the whole time. But now he's extra furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times harder than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound, these fashion details right in the heart of the narrative, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. Now watch this. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. This did not happen like it happens in Sunday school where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego marched bravely to the furnace. This massive kiln that they used for making bricks, like a big tunnel sealed at one end, hot, heated so hot, now it's seven times hotter. So much smoke. There is fighting. There's blood. There's punching, right? They're fighting. The soldiers just have to get them close enough to shove them in. But what they realize is the smoke causes asphyxiation. Some of the soldiers die in the very heat, causes them to pass out and die. Even the soldiers are dying on the way there. And they're screaming and they're punching, right? This I don't think this went down like we are brave soldiers of the lord off to meet our death right they're fighting for their life and they're kicking they're trying to escape anything they think of ah and they're screaming we're dying they're thrown into the furnace some of the soldiers pass out dead we're burning we're burning we're burning we're not burning and in that moment can you imagine they're looking around what's happening are we dead no, I'm right here, Shad. Yeah, Mish. Are we in heaven? Awfully hot and flamey to be heaven. <laughs> oh, right. no, that can't be it. We've been faithful to God. I think God saved us. I think God delivered us. I think we went to Right, so they start cheering and praising. Shadrach, high five. Meshach, high five. Abednego, high five. New guy, high five. <laughs> Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement, asked the advisors, weren't there just three men that we tied up and threw into that fire? They replied, it's the kind of thing you don't forget. (laughs) Certainly, O king. He says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. God sent his angel into the fire to deliver his servants right there in the midst of the fire. Can you imagine that moment? They're sitting there with the angel. I don't, what does Nebuchadnezzar see when he looks in? (laughs) Awfully hot. You should come. 
This is an idea that's thousands of years ahead of its time. It's a firewall. Here we, I, I, I thought of it. I said, don't say it, don't say it. And then I couldn't resist. So Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted the only thing he can think of. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And so too will you. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their body, nor was the hair of their head singed. Ah, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. That, now we understand the fashion details. The turbans and trousers and robes, what, what the Bible's saying here is, you couldn't even smell smoke on them. When God saves, he saves to the uttermost. Amen. Right? That's why the turbans and the trousers and the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They come out and Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. You got this pagan king, again, bowing before the true and living God. He still has anger issues, though, because the next verse says, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turn into piles of rub. Sanctification is a process. It takes time. Four, he answers his own question. The, God, the guy who said, I'm God, worship me, ends up being completely powerless in this whole story. And the true God reigns supreme. And what does he say? Four, why don't we all just say it together? Four, no other God can save in this way. No other God can save in this way. And that, that means, obviously, that, that like, there's no God but, but the living God. All of these things turn out to be lousy saviors. Come on, money? Really? Really, money is mighty to save? One economic downturn, and we all realize money's not mighty to save. One time you lose your job, you go, money was a lousy savior. Why ever depend on that? My own power, my own significance, these are terrible saviors. No other God can save in this way. So when Satan is whispering in your ears, you know, how will you be saved? How if you don't worship this idol? Oh, stop. Stop. That's, that's, that's crazy. No other God can save in this way. Not only is his, his great power to save, but his creativity in saving. If you and I were reading this, if we're looking forward, watch this. All you see is the end of the book. you got some problem ahead of you, and there's, you either bow or you're thrown into a blazing furnace. It's either compromise or the end for you right now. And what this story is saying is, It might not be the end of the book. It might be the end of the chapter. And here's the thing. Integrity, obedience to God, opens up new vistas of possibilities that were heretofore unknown. Just walk through that door. And in their case, what happened was, see, they think there's no way we're going to be saved from this fire. God's like, who said anything about saving you from the fire? God does not save his servants from the fire. He saves them in the fire. And in the midst of the fire. Who could have predicted this? No one. You will walk through the fire. You will not be delivered from some measure of suffering. Your promise is that you will be saved in the fire. Paul even says, I'm going to be saved from every trial except one. (laughs) Right? He says, God's going to deliver me from all these things. And then one day call me home. He's right. Listen, Christian, you will be ultimately saved and spared on this life from every trial except one. And on that one, you're okay too because you're going to go home and be with him. Right? Untouchable. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced. So you have a choice before you. You can either leave here and say, this is immensely practical, right? Don't you hear that? Unless you cheat, you're not going to make that sales goal. Unless you lie a little bit on that resume, you can kiss that job goodbye. Unless you lower your standards, right? 
Date someone who's not a Christian. You'll never get married. You, and on and on and on. This is immensely practical. How do they find the courage? It's not how, but who. It's the God we serve. The God we serve. Over and over again, when those messages come in your ear, you fire back. No, the God we serve can save us. And even if he doesn't, no other God can save in this way. Idols are not so much defeated, I think, maybe, as deflated. And you have a choice. You can say, we can trust in these idols, or we can trust God. And Shadrach looks at Nebuchadnezzar, and he thinks, you know, it looks like you hold the power of life and death in your hands, but you don't. God holds life and death in his hands, right? And Meshach and Abednego, they think, you know, I've, I've never really, God, I've never really trusted in idols. I've trusted in God. Why would I stop now? Right? Why at the end of my life would I li- live it any different? It's God alone who saves. And these idols don't have any strength left. They don't, we're not putting any faith in them. And they sort of deflate. The whole thing's a house of cards anyway. Satan's building the thing on lies and fear. And it just pumps up these idols. They're nothing. They're houses of cards. And as you deflate these things, as you rob them of your trust and put your trust in God and lean deeply into God and his plan of your life, these idols, they, they just run out of steam. You sort of stop feeding them, you know, and they end up demolished. And so the message today is, is pretty clear. No other God can save in this way. And so let's not put our trust in anything less than God himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But even more, we thank you for what you did. And God, I... I I, I admit, I, I, I don't have the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I am so grateful that I serve the same God. And that the real deliverance of power is not found in me or in, in any of my fellow worshipers here this morning. The power is found in you. And we are so weak and we are so susceptible to all these idols out of our fear. We're scared. We want to maintain control and significance. We want to prolong our beauty and our and increase all those things. But God, we repent of that. We repent of turning to idols, which are powerless to save, and treating them as if they're God. And for some, we need to literally repent this morning and turn back to you, the true and living God. Still others just need a reminder and encouragement as they're in the midst of a fire that God doesn't save us from the fire. He saves us in the fire. And Father, whatever the, the state in which we live, the powers that be here on this earth, whatever they do, God, we pray for this next generation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, and for all those who refuse to bow the knee to the demands of Satan or any part of culture that he has used for his ends, and we confess and hold fast to the good news that no other God is in this Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.